Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. If you're joining us over the live stream, we are so glad you're with us this morning. And if you're here in the sanctuary, welcome back. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and again, I welcome each of you this morning. I especially want to welcome our visitors. If you're with us on the live stream, please, if you have the ability to do so, say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. If you're visiting with us in person this morning, I invite you to join us for coffee and conversation outside in the courtyard after the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite us to greet the holy among us this morning. If you're online and on a platform where you can do so, please say hello to one another in the comments. Or if not, simply feel the heartstring connections that bind us together. Please join me in saying the words for the lighting of the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Call to worship is from Desmond Tutu. Differences are not intended to alienate, to separate. We are different precisely in order to realize our need of one another. This congregation worked together to establish a common spiritual and religious purpose. It's our mission. It drives our decisions. It drives our programs and ministries. We put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday so that we might more readily carry it in our hearts throughout the week. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. And each week we have a moment for beloved community to explore further what we mean by that term. This week I want to start by showing you a video. I removed the sound from that video because there was an annoying local reporter talking behind it. And also because I thought it spoke very powerfully without the sound. So what we see there is two teenagers who get into a fight at the mall. The police come. They have the teen initially identified by media and likely also by the police as white just sit on a couch, as you saw. But they tackle the African-American teenager and handcuff his hands behind his back. One cop puts a knee on his back. They arrested the black teen, but not the other teen. The other teen, who later identified himself as Colombian and Pakistani and not white, told the press, quote, I don't understand why they arrested him and not me. I say that was just plain old racist. 
What must life be like for the parents of African-American adolescents and teens having to fear for them each time they leave the house? Let me tell you about the hungry coat. Mullah Nasruddin was a wise, scholarly theologian. He was also a hard-working, industrious farmer. And one day, during the Feast of Ramadan, he was working hard on his farm. As the sun was beginning to set, his stomach was beginning to grumble, and his mind was already somewhat in the future because one of the wealthiest members of his community had invited everyone to come and gather for a feast to break the fast on this evening. Mullah Nasruddin could already almost taste the figs, the chicken, the beef, the lentils, all of the good and delicious things that would be spread on that table for everyone to share and enjoy. The only problem was that he had worked so long and so hard that it was almost time to gather for the feast already. If he went home to wash himself and change his clothes, he'd be late. So he decided he would go directly from working in the fields to the feast. When he arrived at the door, a servant answered and immediately noticed his dirty, tattered, worn work clothes. They also recognized his face and they let him in, but with some reluctance and certainly without a word of welcome. Mullah Nasruddin arrived at the feast at the table where all the other members of the community were gathered and they Likewise, looked him over, scornfully, questioning. None of them issued a, a welcome, a hello. No one moved aside to make space for him at the table. They noticed his clothes, and they continued their conversations. So he, he grabbed a plate, and he reached between people to choose the food that he wanted and the things that he had been so excited about eating. There were the figs and the chicken and the beef and the lentils that he had been counting on all day. But somehow once he had his food, his appetite was gone. But being a wise and scholarly man, he put his plate down in the corner and went home. He washed himself. He dressed and he put on his finest coat, a coat with many pockets, many colors made of silk. One that the members of the community had commented on before. And indeed, when he returned, the servant opened the door and looked favorably upon his coat and said, my, Mullah Nasruddin, you're looking fine this evening. We're glad that you could join us. Please come in. When Mullah Nasruddin came to the table in his clean and fancy dress. Well, a few people moved aside and, and invited him to sit next to them and asked how his day had been and offered him some of the delicious 
foods that were spread on the table. Well, this time, the mullah saw the figs and put one into his pocket and said, eat, coat, eat, enjoy. And he reached out for some nuts and he put those into another pocket and said, eat, coat, eat. He wasn't so sure about putting chicken or beef in his coat and maybe lentils either, but there were some dates and he put those into his coat's pocket and said, eat, coat, enjoy, enjoy the meal. Finally, the host of the feast had watched enough and silenced all the conversation and addressed the mullah directly. Mullah Nasruddin, lovely that you could be with us this evening. Why are you putting food into your coat pockets? And the mullah replied, yes, thank you so much for the kind and generous invitation. I am merely feeding my coat because I realized that when I came before in my dirty work clothes, that I was not really welcome at this table. But when I returned in my fine clothing, in my fancy coat, that I was suddenly seen. And that helped me understand that it is not I who am welcome at this feast, but my coat. This story challenges us when we state an intention to open our communities, our homes, our hearts, our lives, to widen our circles, that we need to search ourselves and be aware of the places where we might be keeping others out, that we get to choose to welcome in those who others might turn away. And in fact, to be radical in our acceptance. Our reading is from poet Rosemary Watola Traumer. Um, she's a white poet in Colorado, and if you're not familiar with her work, it's really great. Title of the poem is Belonging. And if it's true, we are alone. We are alone together, the way blades of grass are alone, but exist as a field. Sometimes I feel it, the green fuse that ignites us, the wild thrum that unites us, an inner hum that reminds us of our shared humanity. Just as 35 trillion red blood cells join in one body to become one blood, just as 136,000 notes make up one symphony, alone as we are, our small voices weave into one big conversation. Our actions are essential to the one infinite story of what it is to be alive. When we feel alone, we belong to the grand communion of those who sometimes feel alone. We are the dust, the dust that hopes, a rising dust, a thrill of dust, the dust that dances in the light with all other dust, the dust that makes the world. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. And let us begin today by 
sending our hearts out to the people of Ukraine. Indeed, hold our hearts, hold in our hearts the people of the world as that has such potential to grow into greater conflict. I'd like to invite you now to join me in a meditation on loving kindness. I invite you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and simply breathe. Breathe in. Breathe out. Try to focus yourself on your breath. Flowing in and out, in and out. And as you become centered in your breathing, feel the warmth, love, and energy of those who are with you, whether physically or in virtual space. Breathe in and out. In and out. Now still centered in your breathing, I invite you to bring into your awareness an image of yourself. Perhaps it is your whole self, or perhaps it is a part of you that has been hurt and that needs healing. Breathing in and breathing out, hold yourself in your awareness and send yourself this wish. May I be well. May I experience loving kindness. May I be free from suffering. May I know joy and pure love. Now, still centered in your breathing, I invite you to bring to mind someone whom you love, whom you have very warm feelings toward. They could be a spouse or partner, a child, parent or other family member, a friend or other loved one. And as you hold them in your thoughts and continue to stay centered in your breathing, join me in sending them this wish. May you be well. May you experience loving kindness. May you be free from suffering. May you know joy, and pure love. Continuing your breathing now, I invite you to bring to mind someone you may feel more neutral about. Maybe a co-worker you haven't gotten to know very well or a new neighbor. As you breathe in and breathe out, I invite you to visualize them and send them this wish. May you be well. 
May you experience loving kindness. May you be free from suffering. May you know joy and pure love. Finally, I invite you to bring to mind someone with whom you have difficulty. Someone perhaps with whom you're having conflict or that you feel a need to forgive. I invite you to visualize this person and breathing in and breathing out, send them this wish. May you be well. May you experience loving kindness. May you be free from suffering. May you know joy and pure love. And now I invite you to continue concentrating on your breathing as we enter into a moment of quiet and continued meditation. For this moment, we'll have some music, during which I invite you to light a candle if you have not already done so, remembering to maintain social distancing if you're here in the sanctuary. Now, let us light candles representing sorrows, joys, remembrances, or hopes.
In my late 20s, I got involved in LGBTQI rights activism as well as HIV AIDS services research and activism. I was a stalwart member of Queer Nation Houston and the Houston area chapter of AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, or ACT UP. Some of you may have previously heard me talk about this time period in my life. My story from the time goes like this. I initially got involved in these efforts because as a young gay man, I was experiencing too many in my community who were getting sick, who were dying. I was experiencing too many who were being treated terribly by their families, jobs, health care providers, you name it. And things for LGBTQI people at that time were very different than now, Though some of the laws being passed or considered here in Texas, Florida, and elsewhere these days are eerily reminiscent of those days. In fact, consensual sexual relations between two adult males was illegal in Texas under Penal Code 2106 for all of my young adult life, including over a decade, one-third of the time that my spouse Wayne and I have been together. I was actually friends with one of the attorneys who represented the plaintiffs in Lawrence versus Texas, the Supreme Court case that finally struck down that law, as well as invalidated similar laws in other states across the country. So, I knew something about oppression. And yet, yet I had also grown up in this bubble of white male privilege. My high school had been all white. My small town community's gender norms had been highly patriarchal. But as I attended activist meetings or various gatherings and business meetings involving aid services, I began to notice some things. Things like how the male chair or leader of such groups, even the gay guys, would ignore or minimize the participation of women sometimes. Like how when a woman had an idea, the group would often ignore it until a male in the group suggested essentially the same thing and all of a sudden it was brilliant. All of a sudden it got adopted by the group. Like how as AIDS began to spread more rapidly into African-American and other communities, some of my fellow gay white male activists and service providers seemed to resent representatives of such communities trying to help lead the movement, be a part of decision-making processes. The list could go on. I was disturbed. Because these folks were people I had come to know, to like, to care about. So over time, my circle of awareness regarding oppression began to expand beyond just myself and what I had considered my only community. My understanding of the depths of racism in our society broadened. And as that happened, the circle of whom I thought of as my community widened. I like to think that that benefited me, 
help me grow toward becoming more of the person I wanted to become. This month, several of our church programs have been exploring widening the circle as a spiritual topic. A perspective I've talked about before called liberation theology tells us that this is a spiritual topic because each of us needs as much experience of the full spectrum of humanity as possible to reach for our highest potential. We learn and we grow by reaching across our differences. Put in the negative form, racism and other forms of oppression keep us separated. They close the circles. They keep all of us from reaching for our full potential. Because because even those of us who experience privilege within any given system of oppression get locked within our own circles. We're prohibited from experiencing that richness of all humanity. We live in fear of the other. Tribalism may have at some point in history been necessary for humans, though even that is now in question. But today, today cooperation and compassion are what we need if we are truly to experience liberation and fulfillment Perhaps even to survive. Witness the invasion, devastation, and potential for wider war being driven by an autocrat against Ukraine. And even beyond these systems of oppressions, we also create circles to exclude those with whom we disagree. We lock ourselves in with people of like mind where we never have to hear a viewpoint different than our own. More and more data shows that people on both ends of the political spectrum are actually physically, geographically moving to live in an area that is overwhelmingly like-minded and just like themselves. I know I have people that I love in my life with whom I strongly disagree. And we live in separate areas, surrounded by people with views more like our own. These are people I love, but that I also believe are supporting forces that may do harm to others, that may even threaten representative democracy. People who behave in racist and other oppressive ways sometimes... It can be so hard not to draw a line around myself and shut them out. Yet these are people I love. And so I keep trying. And to their credit, so do they. I don't have all the answers to this, but I do know it is another circle of polarization we have to work against. And I know that doing that involves compassion, forgiveness, patience, and a willingness to have the tough conversations without devolving into outright acrimony. In limited doses, with lots of meals and fun for the whole family activities in between those tough conversations. Research has shown that the loving-kindness meditation we did together earlier can also help us with this. 
Plus, it can have physical health benefits for us personally, including slowing down aging. So, try it on your own from time to time, even if you're not ready to start loving your enemies yet. This and other meditations, spiritual practices, the rituals we perform here at the church and the like can also help us widen our perspective on so many areas of life. Meditation, for instance, has been shown to be capable of altering our worldview as well as helping us feel more connected to others and to all that is. Here's an example. I had been thinking that all this sequestering at home a lot because of COVID had shrunk my personal circle of close connections. After meditating one time recently, though, I had this realization that in actuality, it had also, through the new online tools we've learned to use to stay connected, such as Zoom, helped me get to know some folks much, much more deeply than I ever had before. So, in summary, widening our circles is essential to our own spiritual growth. Now, here's the thing, though. I'm getting really impatient with just widening the circle. I'm tired of story after story like the one I shared with you in the moment for beloved community earlier. And so many of the stories are even worse. I'm weary of the forces of polarization in our society. Widening the circle can be so blooming incremental. Make the circle just a little wider and let just a few more in. Worse yet, kick a few who haven't met our demands well enough out while we're at it. Widening the circle is becoming not good enough for me. I don't want the lines around us at all anymore. Instead, instead, I want to burst the circle wide open, dismantle the lines entirely. And I think our senior minister, Reverend Meg, may have given us the way we can do that a couple of Sundays ago when she shared her theology about a river of love that flows through the universe, a river that she calls God, a river that we have to start, we have to initiate because we're like tributaries through which the love must flow or the river could run dry. And I think... I think maybe that river of love fully realized is powerful enough to burst all of the circles wide open. I want to turn now to how these ideas may relate to the sad news we received recently from our senior minister, Meg, that she's retiring in June due to a serious health issue If anyone with us today has questions about Meg's news or would like to talk, just go to austinuu.org and click on the link near the top for the Sunday services page. Scroll down to where you'll see a list of names of folks who are available to you. Clicking on any one of those names will allow you to send an email message to that person.
like so many of you. I've been cycling through various aspects of grief and sorrow ever since I learned of Meg's news. So many of you have contacted me to express both sadness and your strong love for Meg. Know that all of these feelings and more are okay. That they are normal. Know that each of us will process this in ways that are unique to us as individuals. When we experience grief, stress, trauma, and we've had more than a damn enough of each of these over the past months, haven't we? When we experience these things, we can tend to draw inward, both as individuals and as a religious community. We can tend to draw the circle tighter, both in terms of welcoming new folks and by clinging to a smaller group of folks whom we know the best among current church participants. My beloveds, I submit that that is the exact opposite of what this religious community needs most. We especially need each other during this time, each and every one of us. Each of you can minister to one another through this time. And welcoming the stranger will only, as liberation theology informs us, bring fresh perspectives and help us more creatively imagine our future, add more streams of love flowing into that river. Folks who visit during this time will witness a senior minister filled with love for the people she serves and they for her, as well as they for one another. That river of love can metaphorically burst these church walls wide open, bringing more justice into our world, watering the roots of beloved community. And, and it can also serve as a channel for folks who might find spiritual nourishment, transformation, and a community of love with us to float, raft, or take a speeding motorboat this way. Finally, I'll mention that in times like these, Sometimes our creative imaginations can get constricted as we process all of these emotions. That river of love, and Meg, you can tell I love your theology so much I'll even risk overusing it. That river of love can also help us burst our imaginations wide open. It can help us creatively imagine all good things possible for Meg. It can open up creative directions as we explore possibilities for the church in the weeks and months to come. Even after Meg retires... She will always, always be a part of this church. Her ministry will be within the very DNA of whatever church next emerges. 
or I should say whatever churches emerge, because I hope that First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin goes on and on in iteration after iteration for years and years to come. I wrote something to Meg that I want to say to you now. I love you. I am with you. I hope in the days and weeks to come that you will say this to one another and to the other important loved ones in your life. I love you. I am with you. Please join with me in saying the words we use to extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. There's a river. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.